So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us with whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen. Make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Introducing the SD Podcast channel, your one stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And Jose, we are up to episode 42 on the podcast. We're getting closer to that 50 mark. Yeah, it's a very special mark, as you know, uh, uh, you know. Podcasting is kind of hard and challenging, as we've seen with our busy schedules as of late. Um, so to get up to 50, I feel like that's a good number. So we're, we're going to begin planning with the streamers and the pinatas, and I feel like 50 is going to be a good show for us when we reach that mark. In our last podcast, we got to the all-star break in the NBA, but a lot has happened since then. We're going to focus a little bit on the NBA and some baseball as well, but we do have a guest with us. So this is a great uh, opportunity for us. Uh, Austin Cruteau is on the line with us. Austin, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How you doing? Perfect. Doing, doing great. Uh, happy to be on the show. I'm very excited. Right. It's the uh, first time I'm here and can't wait to get into it. And one of the first things I know is uh, you are a Mets fan. Uh, so we are three Mets fans doing this podcast. <laughs> so uh, a oh, little bias. Right. <laughs> I'll be- try my best not to be, but... Yankee uh, fans, you have been warned. This may not be a podcast. <laughs> uh, we are going to talk about a little bit of the Yankees. Might not be some positive stuff, but uh, I want to begin with the Mets. And let's get your take as a fan to begin with. Uh, new GM to start the year, Brody Van Wendt comes in. Big moves to begin with. Trading for Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz really makes this team a contender. As a fan, do you like what he's doing this offseason? I love what he's doing, Nick. I love what he's doing. And the Cano and Edwin Diaz signing is that really. Put me over the moon, man, because Edwin Diaz, 57 saves. We really needed that, you know, back-end bullpen type of guy that could just hold us down. And Cano, obviously going to hit 300, lifetime 300 hitter. Can't wait to see how this pans out. Let's ask one more take on the Cano part, because obviously the back-end of the rotations, uh, back-end of the bullpen is going to be set with Edwin Diaz. But, you know. And Familia. Very, yeah, great extra signing part two. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw Jay Bruce be part of that trade to Seattle. David Wright's retired. Yoannis Espinosa may be back in like July or August type of thing. <laughs> so there really isn't that veteran presence. Uh, how important do you think Cano being added to the team brings that veteran presence? Uh, I think it's I think it's really important. I mean, I heard um, Ron Darling say that. Ahmed Rosario was following him around in the clubhouse, and, you know, that's huge because that's our starting field in the, in the future, you know. 
and that's just going to be a big part of the reason why the Mets win the season. I'm telling you, it's going to be a good, good, uh, good 2019 going in because of that. Yeah. I was a I not forgetting about you at all, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was we had spoke a little bit about Jacob Degrom. You you mentioned the short and innings threat uh, that he brought up. Uh, it's a little bit surprising we haven't heard something like this since Matt Harvey in 2015. But when you look at it and you hear Jacob DeGrom talk about threatening his innings limit and not going to pitch possibly 200 innings, or um, we don't really know what it's meant for Jacob DeGrom this season because of that, do you think this is more like a Mets fault or this is more, you know, Jacob DeGrom shouldn't be doing this at all? Well, you know, it's really interesting because as a fan, you, I think you can understand both sides. Um, let's look at it from Jacob DeGrom's perspective first, right? You know, he's getting up there in age. He's seeing what's happening in free agency now. Apparently, once you hit 30, you know, you're no good anymore to teams. A lot of these guys who are over 30 are not getting the contracts that they would have gotten years ago. They're not getting the money they would have gotten years ago. And if you're DeGrom, you know, his wife had a baby, what, last year, two years ago? You have a family to think about. This is your job. You know, if you feel like you deserve a raise, which DeGrom does, he does deserve to get paid, you know, you want to make sure you're going to get paid. So I totally understand where DeGrom is coming from. He wants to, to know that he's a part of the long-term plans, you know, for the New York Mets. Everybody wants to feel that way, right? Everybody wants to know that they're part of the long-term solution and not just patchwork, you know, in the upcoming days. So I totally understand where DeGrom is coming from. He wants to make sure he gets his payday before he goes and throws his arm out until his arm falls off, and then all of a sudden he can't play anymore, and then he doesn't get his big payday. But... From a Mets perspective, you know, so it is kind of their fault. But I really don't like that he's setting these innings limit threats. I could understand if the Mets went out there and did nothing this offseason and they brought out the same team that gave you no run support last year. <laughs> but the Mets, but, you know, we, he, you know, Austin just talked about it. You know, BVW, he made moves. He got Edwin Diaz. He brought back Familia. He brought in Robinson Cano. So I feel like if the Mets weren't trying... I, could, I, could, I would side with DeGrom more saying, okay, well, you guys are not even trying to win. There's no reason for me to pitch my arm off. But with the team is making moves, and they look like they're ready to contend again, and they're pouring all of it into 2019 and 2020 in the short-term window, if you're DeGrom, you got to be there. Because if you're not there, then that's a huge piece missing from the Mets. And I again, if the Mets weren't trying, I would understand. But the team is making moves. They're trying to help you out. DeGrom needs to be a part of this. And the innings limit thing is really, it's going to be a distraction whether he thinks it's going to be or not. But now, Austin, I'm going to give you the flip on mm -hmm. this one. Uh, because just like Jose pointed out, uh, you're watching this team compete. You're watching this team put money into it. They're, they're taking on contracts like Robinson Cano. They're going out and signing Jet Lowry. And I, obviously, DeDrom is a bigger and better player than both of these men at their career stages. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you be wanting to get paid at this point because you're seeing that the Mets are going in for, you know, a chance to make a postseason run? Oh, absolutely. You know, I would want my money if, if Jose said it too. Got a family I just started, and you know, it's just the fact that um, yeah, you're the number one guy to go to, and he knows it. Everyone knows it, and you just yeah, you gotta get that get that money. It's worth it, you know. <laughs> it's all about the dollar bills. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, 
I mean, how old is he? Is he is he thirty yet? Uh, thirty 30 or thirty-one, right? Thirty-one, thirty-one. Because uh, I don't I don't know how old he is, but like he said, the guy's over thirty. Once once you hit that thirty mark, teams are just like, well, are you gonna stay relevant or do you know do we give you money? And he's still that guy to go to, and he still deserves every single dollar and cent that we give him, if not more. <laughs> so. Obviously, I'm there's all... never a good time to hear the shorted ends on it, right? You, don't, you never want to hear oh, your no. ace is coming out there and throwing, is, is not no, going to no, go no. into the full point. But the last time we've heard about this was Matt Harvey, and he was talking about it when we were in September, the mid of a possible playoff run, going into the playoffs, <laughs> going into the World Series. And at the end of the day, Matt Harvey was right about his take. Uh, his arm was really never the same. We, we see him, he never really got the money that he should have gotten for his career time uh, before the following season in 16. Mm-hmm. When you looked at the drum saying this before the innings uh, limit, you rather hear it now, of course, than you know, much further into the future in 2019. Yeah, you, you never uh, say you're going to go on an innings limit when you're on a playoff push. That's just, that's just rude. <laughs> right, right, right now, right now. I mean, hey, season's about to start. You want to, you want to be secure. You want to know that you're getting paid for what you're doing. He's putting himself not at risk, but pitchers, pitchers throw hard, and he throws hard, harder than most. And that's, it's a lot of strain on your shoulders. So you want to have a secure, set amount of money going into the season, and know that you're going to perform well. And yeah, it's good that he did it now. Definitely. I think think it's also good that he does it now because I think he could have fan support if the Mets are making contention uh, for the playoffs. And then DeGrom possibly brings it up and we're looking at is, well, he's the best pitcher in baseball for the last couple of years. Lock him up pretty much. Yeah, you got to give him anything that he asked for. (laughs) And in my head, I mean, if he's going to be the best pitcher in baseball for the next three to four years, you got to give him... Uh, not whatever he asks for, but you gotta give him a nice penny, nice check at the end of the day. So, Jose, I know you're still covering for the Rising Apple. I'm sure the last couple of days have been about uh, Lowry and Frazier's injury as Frazier got announced for, I think, a strained oblique. Didn't uh, someone else get, get announced? Other than Lowry and uh, Frazier? I thought I saw. Oh, I, I guess I read something else. I, I, I thought I thought that was three Mets now. It is. It, it wouldn't surprise me. It's the Mets. <laughs> Get him out of the way early. At least. Yeah, we're, th- we're four games into spring training. The Mets have two injuries, so you know what? <laughs> it's a pretty good spring at that point. Two bench guys too. So that's uh, hey. Is it though? At the end of the day. Jose, who who you looked at it and say who was going to be the starting third baseman? Uh, it was either going to be Frazier, maybe it was going to be Lowry playing second or third. Uh, is this big injuries already the been uh, begin in spring in your mind? Yeah, I mean this is this is huge to kick it off. I mean, <clears throat> you know, a couple weeks ago, one of my friends was saying, "Yeah, spring training's baseball is back," and I told him I was like, "You know what? I don't know. There's something missing." And then I get the news that Jed Lowry's hurt. And I'm like, "There you go." That's <laughs> Baseball is back now, but it really is. I mean, because I mean, this is a problem that the team has really suffered from every single year, and it's always the same words. The Mets are a good team as long as they stay healthy. The problem is they're not staying healthy. 
Now, one of the things that, you know, Brody targeted this offseason was getting depth at certain positions. Players who are very versatile. And, you know, they got Lowry, who plays all over the infield. They got Frazier, who's willing to play some third and first, as we've seen even when he was in the Yankees. You know, losing two guys like that is huge, even if it is early in spring, because we don't know the severity. Are they going to miss opening day? Because when you start picking at the depth of the team, you know, that's a problem, you know. This is an area that the Mets were very thin on to begin with in terms of versatile players. They brought in some guys like Lowry. They brought in guys like J.D. Davis from the Astros. And if those guys start going down, then who's behind them? I don't think I think the Mets did a good job in starting to pick up players who are more versatile. I don't think they have enough yet to really, you know, to really bounce back from key injuries like this early in spring. Again, you want to get out of the way now, but if this lingers into April, I think this could be a huge deal going forward for the Mets, especially depending on who is getting hurt at the right time. Because right now, if you lose Lowry and you lose Frazier, great. You still have McNeil. You still have Davis. You know, you can move some people around, too. But the last thing you want to do is keep is keep having these guys drop like flies, and then you're losing options. So right now, the Mets are okay. It's early in spring. Just get themselves in shape for April. But... This is not something you want to hear as a Mets fan because this is usually the beginning of the end, honestly, when you hear you start to pop up this early. So uh, a lot of times when, you know, it's spring training, you know, it is early and we're only four games in, but these are sometimes significant injuries that take up to a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's just getting involved into spring training and just getting involved into rehabbing and he's not really able to get into baseball shape and get ready to start a season for opening day because by the time he's ready, it's, you know, the end of March and it's later into, uh, we get into April by the time he's able to get some natural games in a minor lead. So this could be a timetable injury that could cause you to miss opening day very quickly if you're not able to get enough uh, games in before then. So with that, I know Jeff McNeil, he did hit 329 in just over 200 at-bats when he got up to the MLB last season. He could be the starting third baseman when you know opening day begins if Frazier and Lowry are down, especially if they start on the DL. You know, Austin, do you trust Jeff McNeil for, uh, for the third base position? Yeah, I trust him. I trust him anywhere on that diamond because he wants to play and he wants to stay in that lineup. So I think he's going to give 110% wherever they put him, and he's going to play hard. And I can't wait to see him bat at least, I'm calling at least 290-ish or whatever, maybe a couple errors here and there, but nothing he could push past and, you know, keep fighting for those those spots in the lineup. So I give, I, I definitely see him playing a good third base. You know, not, not great, but decent, you know, so I trust him. Is he a guy that you rather have in the lineup more than a Todd Frazier? Or who, who would you prefer? Oh. You mm, right now, probably McNeil. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's fighting for a spot and got a little, you know, got more fresh legs and whatnot. But Frazier is a, Frazier's a threat in that lineup. You know, you never know when he's going to get hot and give you 35-plus home runs. So... That's a tough one, but I'm going McNeil right now. This one's going to be for both of you at the end of the day. Uh, No wonder, Peter. Pete, 
<laughs> oh god. <laughs> Pete Alonso, he's doing very well in spring training. We saw him in the first game hit two run home run. I got to see him in spring training while I got burnt by the sun. He had a double. <laughs> uh, yeah, he had another hit. I think today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing a lot uh, of Pete early on uh, perform well. And again, with a Lowry injury, it could move Cano quickly to second base. But let's assume for thirty seconds that the Mets uh, don't have any injuries going into opening day. Yeah, right. Whole 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that should be enough time for another Met to get injured. Uh, but, Jose, who do you want starting first base? Is it going to be Cano in your mind? Should it be Dominic Smith? Uh, is it going to be Pete Alonso? Or is he automatically getting sent down? Well, I think he is automatically getting sent down. But, and there is a but here, I think it's only going to be for the first two weeks of the season. It should be Pete Alonso if he continues to hit like this in spring. I mean, he has to earn it. I think Mickey Calloway is saying all the right things where, hey, we're not going to hand anything to him because sooner or later we know Pete Alonso is going to play at some point in 2019 for the Mets. I think we all can anticipate that unless he has a long-term injury where he misses the entire season. Alonso will be called up at some point. The question is when. And there really is no harm if he goes down to the minors for a little bit and comes up in May or June or July. But... If the kid continues to hit and he shows that he's working on his defense, right? Because really in that first game of spring, we saw the good and the bad, right? We saw the the error at first base, but you also saw that monster power. You know, sometimes, you know, you can look away from the bad defense if the hitting is that good. So as long as he continues to work on that, there's no reason why he can't make the team out of camp unless there's just too many position players that need a spot. So, you know, Pete Alonso should be playing at first base. However, you got to look at the contract situation, too. If the Mets keep him in the minor leagues for t- at least two weeks, I believe it is, they get, what, another full year of control or two mm-hmm. years of control? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm one of those guys who hates the Super 2 deadline and all that stuff, and I hate when they hold kids until June. They did that to Rosario where they didn't call him up until July because they wanted an extra year. But if it's only two weeks in April, I'm a little bit more inclined to look away from that and say, yeah, I want longer control for Pete Alonso if it's just two weeks in April, right? This is not the Blue Jays hoarding Vladimir Guerrero because they want to hold him for as long as possible, even though he's ready. You know, this is only two weeks in April where the Mets have other options to cover for him. I say let the kid go to AAA, whether it's two weeks in April or the whole month of April. At some point, you're going to see Alonso. So he will play in 2019. I firmly believe it. And I would, if he plays good, I would let him come out of spring training as a starting first baseman. But I'm also not going to disagree if they send him down, especially for that two-week period to get a couple more years on the contract. So, Austin, I'm going to ask the same question to you, but on who you want to have as the first baseman. But also, if it, you know, obviously with Pete Alonso, a lot of times it's been questions about his defense. But when you're considering it against Robinson Cano or Dominic Smith or Todd Frazier, does his defense really matter that much compared to the other players around him? No. Jose said it best. It's You, you look away from the defense when you come up first pitch swinging and you hit a 420-foot home run in deep center. You, know, you could drop a ball or two, in my in my eyes at least. And uh, I don't think that's going to be a big big uh, deal in order for him to be a decision, uh, make a decision on him. That's And... Yeah, this whole two-week thing, that's that's fine with me also. Get get as much control as possible and take it from there. 
hopefully he learns, you know, a better glove. But 420-foot deep center bombs on the first pitch, yeah, you could drop a ball. He'll <laughs> 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 he'll make it up pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I think you're going Pete Alonso as well. Uh, yes. I'm going to ask final question probably with the Mets, though. At the moment, it seems like either Jason Vardis or Seth Ludo is going to be the fifth starter for the team. Are you okay with that, or do you want to see the Mets try and grab another pitcher in the free agent market? Um, I'm okay. I'm okay with Lugo. Vargas, he's, yeah, he's a little shaky, but if he has a mediocre year, I mean, I mean, he can't see the future, but I feel like he's going to have a mediocre year, so... I don't mind. They don't really need to trade for anyone right now, I guess. Uh, I guess at some point in the season, before the deadline, they could if it doesn't work out. But other than that, uh, I'm fine with both of them. Lugo and or Vargas. And there's always Gisellman that can always come in. Ah, right. Gisellman. Gisellman. I like him. What a mind. All right. Also in the MLB news. We had a ton of third baseman signings. Mike Moustakis re-signs with the Brewers. Manny Machado signs the largest contract in baseball, 10 years, $300 million. And today as well, because we're recording the podcast, what, February 26th, Nolan Arenado signs an eight-year, $260 million deal. We'll start with the smallest one and work our way up. Uh, Mike Moustakis with the Brewers. Jose, with this signing, are the Brewers the top favorite in the NL Central? Yeah, I, I think for sure, honestly. I think when they traded for Moustakis last year at the deadline, I feel like it was a very underrated um, underrated move. Um, I think defensively, it kind of put them in a little bit of a strain because it forced them to move Travis Shaw to second. But we saw Travis Shaw you know, play a very good second base. I mean, he didn't really... Uh, lose any defensive skill over there. He wasn't a defensive liability, um, and the Brewers did just fine. I mean, you're looking at a team that has Christian Yelich, who I expect another MVP caliber season out of him. You have Lorenzo Cain, and you know they added Yasmani Grandal, who, to me, even though he seemed to be the butt of every joke in the World Series, away, <laughs> away from that, though, Yasmani Grandal really is one of the better offensive catchers in the game right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't let that small sample size of what happened in the playoffs fool you, because Yasmani Grandal, you know, there is a reason why the Dodgers traded Matt Kemp away for him. You know, there's a reason why the Mets apparently were willing to give him four years, 60 mil. This guy still is one of the better catchers, young catchers um, in the game. And I think he's gambling on himself here, taking a one year, 18 million dollar deal. I think he's going to be really motivated to prove that he's one of the better catchers once again. And Again, you just you add that bat along with Mustakis, and all of a sudden the Brewers are really separating themselves. You know, for a team that I still want them to get some pitching, honestly, but I know they have the whole bullpen thing, and they apparently they start Wade Miley for one batter and all that kind of craziness. Um, but I do love that they're establishing the offense because at the end of the day, when you're going up against teams like the Cubs and you're going against teams like the Cardinals. It seems like the theme of the NL Central is you got to be able to hit in that division, and I feel like they do have one of the better hitting teams out of those three who should be in the mix, and especially with Cincinnati picking up some offense too with the Puig and Kemp trade. Um, I think the Brewers are doing a good job mm-hmm. setting themselves up as the team to beat um, offensively-wise um, in the NL Central. Awesome. When I, I spoke to you a couple days before Machado signed uh, with the Padres, and I think you had 
you had called Padres he was going to sign with at the end. Mm-hmm. So let's start off with this. I, obviously, I think you liked the move because you were thinking Padres. Do you think they're a contender this season? No, not at all. They're, they're, who's their their five rotation? Is what me, you, Jose, and two others? <laughs> I, I don't even know them. They're, no, they got to make some some moves. He's got to attract some people. He's got to show that you know I moved to the West and I can still hit. Yada yada yada. But he pretty much did it for the weather. How can you not? <laughs> Just get paid. What is he getting every year? Thirty. 30 million? 10 years, 30 million. Highest yeah. paid contract. Just sit on the beach. But, yeah, I mean, no, they're, not, they're not doing anything for at least a year or two until they get two starters maybe and maybe another bat. Because who's their next home run hitter? Will Myers? I, I don't really know. I don't know. I can't see them doing anything for a year or two. That's my take. Which contra- Which signing do you like more, though? Nolan Arenado's resigning or Manny Machado's? Uh, for a team standpoint, not player. For a team standpoint, I have to go. I think what means more to them is Nolan. Because without him, they don't even. They, they get close to the playoffs, maybe. But he's such an important part of that. And plus, him hitting in the, in the mountains is just a plus. And the Padres won't do anything for a year or two, so who's going to the playoffs, Rockies or Padres? I'm going Nolan. Uh, I'm going to ask both of you guys the same question as well. I'll start with Jose. Um, all right, so obviously 10 years, Manny Machado. Eight years, Nolan Arenado. Both these teams are thinking that they're obviously committed long-term. Uh, they're going to have one of the best players in all of baseball for you know, their career, which team has a better chance of sustaining a, uh, you know, more success with this contract and the teams that they have in place? Well, this might shock you with my answer, but I'm actually going to go with San Diego. Um, you know, I think Austin put it nicely. I, you know, they don't have any pitchers, but... Yeah, they think- have us. Oh, yeah, they have. Well, <laughs> you know what? As I like to be a confident person, but I think if we're rolling out there every fifth day, I think they have a huge problem. Not <laughs> me. I'm going on a DL first thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not the DL know. anymore. It's the IL. Oh, yeah, that, that's Remember true. That. Same thing. Um, it's going to be bench. <laughs> I can already feel my rotator cuff inflaming just at the thought of me going out there. Um, but, you know, I think the Padres will have an easier time um, only because of the team that they already have. I know a lot of people wasn't weren't liking the signing for the Padres, but let me look at that lineup for a second. Machado, Eric Cosmer, Will Myers, and the potential for kids like Fernando Tatis, Luis Urias, Francisco Mejia, Austin Hedges. They, they have a lot of young talent there to pair up with Manny for years to come. And yeah, the dollar amount may not be high, and the years might be kind of crazy, but who do the Rockies have besides Arenado? Yeah, they have Murphy on a short-term deal. They have Ian Desmond on a short-term deal. You know, they have Trevor Story. But really, there is nothing else there in Colorado right now, at least. I understand that they're finally getting some great pitching out of Kyle Freeland. And they should definitely lock him up as soon as possible, too. But 
I feel like I've seen this story before with the Colorado Rockies when they gave a giant contract to Troy Tulowitzki. What did they do in the years after that? To me, they didn't build the most competitive team around Tulowitzki. So from a team standpoint, I think it's a better contract for the Padres because in the Rockies, I've seen them give out a contract to a player before and not be able to build around them. You've given Nolan Arenado the money. Fantastic. Arenado is a great player. I think it's good that you keep him out of the hands of teams like the Yankees, potentially the Mets, if they would have chased after him for third baseman. I think <laughs> Arenado, if Arenado would have hit free agency, I think a lot of teams would have been lining up to try and sign him. The Rockies, he, has an op- he has an opt-out, right? Sorry, he, I, he has an opt-out after the third year, but if he would have hit free agency after this year, it would have been bananas. I mean, yeah. everybody would have been on him. And yeah. for know? the Rockies to prevent him, though, from doing that is great. But what else are the Rockies going to do? So unless the Rockies keep building from here, I need to see what else Colorado is going to do in order to be convinced that this was the right move. I don't know if they, I don't know if everybody would be on top of free agency. We thought that about Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, and look, Bryce Harper still doesn't have a team, and where? Well, but also these guys are asking for I don't know three hundred million dollars, uh, a stake in MLB, uh, <laughs> a stake in Global Gym. I mean, like they, they want everything. Purple Cobras. <laughs> Terrible COVID stock just went up. I think when uh, Mickey Mantle retired and he was asked something about like the free agent market that he, he was talking about just in, you know, 10 years later, uh, what would you be asking for? And he just said, partner. To, that, that's basically, yeah, what they're asking for, but that's the investment they're making as well. They're, they're on this eight, ten-year contract. They are the team for the next decade. It, it's, you know, it is okay in my mind to be asking for a ton. I'm, I'm player-friendly on that um, at the end of the day, so I understand that. And, you know, who knows what teams are thinking. Are you guys accusing like, me of not being player-friendly? No, no, I'm just <laughs> saying that you're, you're jumping on the idea that everyone's going to get signed real quick, and there's too many All-Stars right now that don't have a job in the MLB and there's no reason for it at the end of the day. I think, I think Nolan Arenado would have a job. <laughs> that's, yeah, I mean... That's I, one player that, that if you see the list now of notable free agents or whatever and if Nolan Arenado was on there this late, I, I, I doubt he would be because <laughs> he's that good. It's I'm, I'm very big... I'm not biased on him, but I'm a big Nolan fan. <laughs> Austin, I think you're, you're probably more in favor of which team will have longer success over the next, you know, eight, ten years, uh, Padres or Rockies. I guess you're going on the Rockies side, correct? Yeah. Yeah, until, until I see some other moves made by the Padres, I mean, the Rockies have the most chance of being successful other than just signing one star player and crossing your fingers, you know? <laughs> At least they have a collective now, which kind of pushed them, and they have a nice path ahead of them. So, Padres, no, I'm going Rockies. <laughs> I have, in my take, I have uh, Rockies, if I was to consider it for three years, by far the Rockies. I, I think that's an easy uh, take when you consider Kyle Freeran, Jermaine Marquise, John Gray. I love all their starters. Uh, they have a dominant core. Any team that has Daniel Murphy, I'm going to support 100. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, you kind of have to. It's in it's in the rules now. Yeah. After, after that 2015 run, it's like, all right, 
you know, go you. Wherever you go, I support it. Even if you go to Washington and you're going to beat the hell out of the Mets, I still support Mm -hmm. you for what you did. Um, And when you have Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, a few top prospects coming up for the Rockies, I think three years they could be the most dominant team in the NL West. I think they have a chance of overtaking uh, the Dodgers uh, very soon, but the Padres have 10 of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Uh, Austin, you mentioned starting pitching. Yes, they don't have it right now, but Mackenzie Gore is probably the Nets' best young thing, and that's a top 20 prospect right now. Uh, Fernando Tatis, Jose, you mentioned. You're talking about a, the next 10 years, possibly, of Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, and Manny Machado. We're looking at, like, what, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, if not better, it's a possibility. It could be the best left side of the infield in all of baseball. So, uh, I'm again, short-term, I like the Rockies. Long-term, I, I this move was made not to say, hey, Manny Machado, we're going to make the playoffs in 2019. Now it's, hey, Manny Machado, we're going to make the playoffs for a ton of years in this 10-year contract because of everyone that's coming up, because of everyone that's going to be around you, and you're going to lead every one of these young stars to, to the playoffs and to the World Series. So I, I like the moves by both teams. I'm never going to say that, you know, they, they sign superstars. It's going to take superstar money to get them. Uh at the end of the day, but one superstar that's still not signed, and I know, Austin, you're ready for this one, is Bryce Harper. Uh, obviously, <laughs> the Phillies are the top choice. The Dodgers are looking at a short-term deal. Uh, overall, I know you're not a Bryce Harper fan, and I want to get that take first. I just... How could you be a fan of him? <laughs> <laughs> I, I sense the I mean, inner Met fan. <laughs> it's just not even from being a Met fan. It's just he he didn't. What was his average last year? Two in the mid two hundred two fifties, whatever. And he's just an all around. I think he's a bad clubhouse guy. He's gotten to a couple of fights. It's just I I don't want him on the Mets. I would I wouldn't want him near me. Just please. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I just don't like him. Well, do you think that a team should be giving him that kind of contract that Manny Machado just got? No, and he's going to get it. He's going to get more. And that's why it's taken so long. Because Boris is asking for that one more million dollar. You know, 301. And teams are... Someone's going to shell out. Someone's definitely going to definitely get him. Uh, on the flip, though. If you're Bryce Harper, you're a superstar in baseball, you have a choice of right now what seems to be two teams, or maybe the Giants are in there as well. But let's say it's a one-year, $40 million contract uh, with the Dodgers or Giants, maybe two years, $40 million each. And then there's the Phillies that could be a 10-year, $300 million. Which yeah. one do you think he should be considering more? I guess I would go with the Phillies. You stay in the National East, plus you're getting a ton more money. And he's, as the face of the game, I guess, he's just got the show cover for, you know, MLB The Show and, you know, kids emulate him or whatever. He's, he definitely deserves it, but 
uh, yeah, I would go with the Phillies. Definitely. Jose, any uh, thing you want to add on the Bryce Harper still not signed part? Where well, you- the thing is, though, is that, you know, going back to the money-wise, I don't, I don't know if I'd give him $300 million, honestly. I mean, we're looking at a guy who batted over 300 twice. He won. Oh, it, was two, it was 249 last year. I just looked at Yeah. And then his, <laughs> his MVP season, he batted 330. And don't get me wrong. He probably, you know, he really did deserve the MVP that year. That was his one great season. Mm-hmm. His rookie of the year season, he won because there was really nobody else in that class. I mean, he was rookie of the year, and second place was Wade Miley. Third place was Todd Frazier. And you can argue that Frazier even had a, a bigger impact on Cincinnati Reds in his rookie season than Bryce Harper did. In a lot of ways, I think Bryce Harper won the NL Rookie of the Year more out of popularity than he did for his stats and impact on the Nationals. Um, So, to me, the guy remains unsigned, but we've heard the Nationals have given him an offer of 10 years, $300 We've heard that the Phillies have offered him money. So I don't feel bad for this guy because there has been offers on the table. He's just not taking them. Now, I'm pretty sure there's other reasons why he hasn't agreed yet, and maybe there's other mystery teams, as we heard, in the mix. But, you know, I have a lot of questions when it comes to Bryce Harper. My number one question, I know this is not necessarily something we're talking about, but why don't you want to go back to D.C.? is is something I would love to find out if somebody could ever ask Harper that. You know, you have a team where you still have a top rotation with Scherzer and Strasburg, even before they sign Corbin, right? You know, you, you have a young star in Juan Soto. Victor Robles is on his way up. You know, even if Harper would have stayed there, um, they still have Trey Turner. You still have Anthony Rendon. And, you know, bottom line, and then, you know, they picked up Jan Gomes, who's a good catcher, in my opinion, very underrated. But, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, why exactly do you want to leave D.C. so bad? And that's what's so puzzling to me. And honestly, it's bothering me so much that I want to get to the bottom of that. Why do you want out of Washington so bad that you want to go to these other teams and risk being a part of a team that may not do as well. I'm not sold on the Phillies either, honestly. Yes, they got Rio Muto. They got McCutcheon. You know, they picked up Gene Segura. But after Aaron Nola, that rotation has potential, but it really dips down after Nola. There's no other pitcher there. I would much rather see the Phillies go after a guy like Dallas Keigel or another starting pitcher than spend all their money on Bryce Harper. You know, to me, if I'm Bryce Harper in the most logical sense, and he might not like this, would be the L.A. Dodgers. Yes, they're not trying to offer you 10 years. They're only trying to offer him, you know, there was rumors that they didn't want to sign him for more than five. But honestly, think about it. This team went to -to back-to-back World Series, you know, with a talented roster, a talented rotation. And if you're Bryce Harper, as much as I don't look at him as a game changer, he might be a game changer for the Dodgers. Can you imagine a lineup that has Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, you know, um, uh, Corey Seager? Is that the right Seager? That's the right yeah, that's the right <laughs> Corey yeah. The other, the other brothers on yeah. Seattle. Yeah, Corey's brothers on Seattle. For now. Corey's brother, For now. <laughs> for now, yeah. And, you know, you add Bryce Harper to that mix, and I feel like for certain teams, certain players have bigger impact than others. I feel like if you add Bryce Harper to the Dodgers, we're looking at a game changer that could potentially put the Dodgers over the top. Um, so if I'm Bryce... You might not like it that it's a decrease in years. It's only four or five years, but I think the Dodgers is the best fit for him. So, oh, so let me ask you this one now. Uh, on the Phillies' perspective, your entire offseason are talking about how you're going to sign either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper or both. Machado just signs with the Padres. You just watched Nolan Arenado 
sign a long-term deal. So even if you were going to say, hey, you know, it's okay we missed out on those two. We'll get Nolan Arenado next season. Not an option anymore. You just trade for JT Romuto, giving up one of your best prospects. And Sito Sanchez, uh, you do have two starters in Jake and uh, Nola. Do you feel that you have to go a little bit more out there to try and, as Jose brought up, the Dodgers made the World Series two years in a row. So if Bryce Harper is thinking, hey, I, I may just be the missing link to their reign, all of a sudden are you now considering instead of 300, 350, 370 to lure <laughs> Bryce Harper to Philadelphia? Um, no. Yes and no. That's a, that's a tough one because obviously. Oh, yes. not. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, um, I don't know. I can't really answer that one because I don't see him getting more than three hundred and ten million from the Phillies. So that's just I don't know. It's a hard one. I mean, we've seen, yeah, we've seen reports saying that the Phillies, the latest offer was up to three twenty-five. I mean, but th- that's really excessive for the Phillies. I feel like the Phillies are pouring. The Phillies are so desperate at this point because they got burned by Patrick Corbin. You know, we, we've seen players not want to go to Philly instead. Machado didn't seem sold on the Phillies either. I think the Phillies are really feeling the pressure and saying, you know, we got to get somebody here. We got to convince our fan base that. You know, we can we can do this thing, we can win. But if you're the Phillies, you know, look at the light at the end of the tunnel. You know who's a free agent in a couple of years that might end up signing with Philadelphia? And I understand you can't really bank on this, but Mike Trout is going to be a free agent in a couple of years. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> the Phillies <laughs> have made it very clear that they want Mike Trout. So why waste your money on yeah. someone like Harper? I would, who, I would definitely say. Yeah, and by the way, you know, Harper never carried the Nationals on his back through a playoff series either. I mean, so you're paying $325 million for what exactly? Another left-handed outfielder that's going to strike out over 200 times, give you, what, 270 batting average at best? Yeah, he'll hit 40 home runs at Citizens Bank Park, but what is he going to do for you? What, 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 is he going to improve the winning culture in Philly? I'm not so sure he does that. He didn't put the Nationals on his back. The Nationals didn't get anywhere with them with a better team, in my opinion. By the way, the Nationals are still a good team, even without Harper. If Harper goes to the Phillies, the Nationals, I think, finish in the division higher than the Phillies do. I can see that. Hot take right there by Jose. Yeah, that was... He's strong on the Nationals. (laughs) I mean, I am. I'm not not the biggest Nationals fan, so I'm the wrong person for that question. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this one, Austin. Uh, Aaron Hicks signs a seven-year, $70 million deal with the Yankees. I like Aaron Hicks. Do you like the signing, though? Is it a good or bad signing in your mind? That's good. He's a good player. He's definitely a guy you want to have probably the next Brett Gardner type of player. He'll stay there for a while, lead the outfield, and keep doing what you're doing out there. It's definitely a good signing. I'm, I'm very high on that. Statistically, Aaron Hitz performed amazing last season, but he is 29 years old. This is a seven-year contract. Do you, are you a little bit concerned about the length of the contract? Um, not really. No. I mean, the Yankees are known for 
holding on to their their guys, and I feel like he's going to be the next next seven year guy. You know, kind of like a like I said, Brett Gardner type of guy, just leading leading the outfield, leading the young guys, and yeah, I like it. How about you, Jose? Jose, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry about that. I I do love the deal. Um, I love it in some ways, and then there's some ways where I hate it. Honestly, what it comes down to is that Aaron Hicks is a a good defensive center fielder. And to me, he's an underrated player because people look at him and they say, okay, well, he's just a defensive kind of guy. But you put a guy like this in Yankee Stadium, and all of a sudden the offense jumps up, right? Because he's a switch hitter, so he benefits from the, the short portion right field. But this is a guy that can get it done offensively because he's part of that Yankee lineup. He gets a lot of backup in that lineup, hitting in front of guys like Judge and stuff like that. So my thing is, if you're the Yankees, you have a good center fielder in Aaron Hicks. And if he hits free agency, we all know it because this always happens. Someone is going to look at what he did for the Yankees, and they're going to overpay him a crap ton of money. And he could possibly take it. So what do the Yankees do? The Yankees give him an offer he can't refuse. You stay here for seven years, you're a part of a winning team, and you know if you sign with the Yankees, you're going to be in contention to make the playoffs every single year. It's a good money amount, too. $10 million per year. That's relatively cheap for a guy like Aaron Hicks. What I don't love, though, as you mentioned before, Nick, is the years. Seven years is kind of an awkward number. I mean, it felt like they just kind of pulled that out of the hat. I mean, if it would have been three to five years, same thing, like five years, $50 million, I'd say, cool, it's a five-year deal. But this is a guy who's entering his 29th season, seven years. I mean, how long is that really going to take him to? What is he going to be a center fielder anymore after the age of 33, 34? Or are they going to have to move him to a corner outfield spot? Especially when you have guys like Stanton and Judge already going to be in those corner outfield spots. And you still have guys like Frazier and potentially Florial if he ever hits the majors, if the Yankees keep him or they trade him. Um, I think the seven years was kind of, kind of a lot and an awkward number. But I do love the $10 million per because I feel like that's such a fair deal for a guy like Hicks who, honestly, at times, if he wasn't on the Yankees, I'd really question where the Yankees would be right now. I'm, I don't like the years part of it at all. He's 29. He had a great season last year. Um, I think that's just an improvement over the year before, but that's also because he had 200 more at-bats. So, yeah, you're going to see an increase in stats. You're going to see an increase in home runs. I didn't expect him to hit 27, but, you know, when we consider prime of players, 29, 30, uh, will he lose his speed by 36? You know, are there certain question marks of that time? Absolutely. Well, they're going to have to move him to a corner spot, but even with him in the corner spot, that's that's fine with me. His arm is... I, I don't see that arm getting any... No, that arm slower. is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, so it's you throwing. move him to left or right field if he can't move the way he used to. But, hey, you got to do what you got to do if he's still performing. And, you know, I one of the things I saw during spring training was, you know, Jacob DeGrom, which was a lot of fun to watch him. Uh, Tim Tebow in the outfield, which was all right. Um, but one of the new things that the MLB is adding is the pitch clock. And so 
I'm going to be asking both of you guys this one. So what I saw from it, they put 20 seconds on uh, the clock if no one's on base. They add five seconds. If there's a runner on base, I think they might have added an extra five seconds. If there's two runners on base, um, it didn't really seem like it was playing too much of a factor in the game because of the fact that, and the only guy I really was watching this was Jacob DeGrom because he was the only guy that's probably going to make the MLB roster. And we saw that once he put the ball in his glove getting ready to throw, the clock stopped. It disappeared. Instead of it being five seconds, four seconds, three seconds, (laughs) it just ended at five. So it didn't really take too much of a factor in that. But Matt Scherzer seems to have a big issue with it. No starting pitcher that qualified took under 20 seconds to make a pitch. So... You know, Austin, I'm going to start with you. Do you think this is a good or bad thing for baseball? Do you think this could be a factor that hurts pitchers uh, in the long run? Um, did, did you even notice when watching the game? Did you? I, I didn't even notice that pitch clock was even on. So, no, I, I don't think so. If you take a long time to start your pitch, then, yeah, you're going to have to shorten it and adapt. But I can't see it. The only reason Scherzer doesn't like it is because he likes to do laps after every strikeout. So, <laughs> you know, he's he's, <laughs> he's got to do his his little trot, his little trot. But yeah, I, I don't see it being a, the biggest problem. It might not even get him forced half the time. If we do start seeing again forced, then the game will just adapt to that. So, no. Yeah, I I agree with Austin here. I feel like. Like you said, Nick, I mean, the clock was at five and nothing really happened. I think a lot of the times we don't even notice that it doesn't even take 25 seconds for it to, you know, for that to develop anyways. I think most of the time a pitcher does get the ball back and throw it right away anyways. I think, you know, sometimes we get lost in the, oh, man, sometimes baseball is too slow and the game slows down a little bit. But I think sometimes you don't even realize that it doesn't take that much time to get the ball back into play. But you have guys like Scherzer who are a little bit more, you know, peculiar, who likes to do their little routine. And for <laughs> those guys, it kind of messes with them. But I also understand that. You know, you have your routine in baseball. At the end of the day, baseball is a chess match, right? You know, David Ortiz also said it too when they were going to penalize batters who stepped out of the batter's box. Sometimes you need that mental break in between. That's their way of trying to one-up the other person to try and get in their head. So, I go back and forth a little bit, but if it's something like this where sometimes it doesn't even take that long to get the game to keep going, it doesn't bother me. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a big deal yet. And I don't think it's going to be a big deal in April. I think it's going to be a bigger deal midway through the season. Because if they do go beyond the 20 seconds and it doesn't get called, who's going to hear about it? The umpires after the game. And I think the umpires are now going to be forced to look for it more often, especially on a pitcher that they didn't call it for the last time. Not to say every umpire does the same game, but in a simple one where it's like, you know, the first day of a Friday, and it's like they get in the mail, oh, you missed this. Okay, now Saturday and Sunday they're a bit stricter on it. And now it could have an impact on one or two pitchers. And that, to me, could be a little bit of a difference maker in that bat or not. Um, Do I think it's going to have a full impact and affect the game 100%? No. Do I think it's going to help speed up the game? Absolutely not. I I think the MLB (laughs) can think of better things to do on their free time. Uh, They could have 20 seconds on the clock. 
to come up with a new one, but <laughs> uh, this this one was something that you know immediately caught my eye. Other than Tebow being in the starting lineup uh, in the game pretty quickly. All right, I want to get into a little bit of basketball. Uh, Dude's playing right now. I think they are about to lose. They're down four with ten seconds left uh, to Virginia Tech. Zion Williams is not in the game tonight. Uh, Zion Williams is not in the game tonight. Uh, obviously, the sneaker blow up against North Carolina with game tickets higher than the first game of the World Series. Uh, Austin, whether you're not a college basketball fan or not, uh, I know you're a f- basketball fan. Do you mm-hmm. think Zion should be playing in another college basketball game in his career? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't see why not. He's a baller. He's, he's definitely going to want to play. And I feel like he's God in college basketball, so he has, the teams have to do what he says. So he, he's going to get a new pair of shoes. It might not be Nike. It might be steel or chain mail or something, but... <laughs> He's, he's definitely going to play another game of basketball. I see it. Well, you would you or should he be playing oh, another game be? in Duke as should well? Should he be? Yeah. You got to <laughs> develop. It's just, there's no – you got to keep playing to get better. But if his – I mean, hey, if his knee is all messed up and not, you know, not worthy of playing on, then no, don't, don't play. But if you can play and you're healthy, then yeah, why not? He should be playing. Jose, I'm for him sitting out the rest of the season. Which one are you taking on this one? Ah, uh, man, I'm I'm agreeing with Austin. The kid should play. I mean, yeah. I mean, come, come on. I mean, this is this. I understand. I totally understand. You know, if Zion came out tomorrow and said, "Hey, I want to sit," I would understand. I wouldn't get angry. But if I'm him, I'm there to play, man. I want to be a part of March Madness. I want to cut the net after we win. The, the NCAA championship. I understand. And I'm all for the kids getting paid. You know, I think the NCAA really needs to barrel down on this. But, you know, especially you, again, like, ticket prices for that game was ridiculous. And are the kids seeing any of that? No, they're not. And, I mean, but that's a discussion for another day. The point is, though, is now we're targeting Zeon Williamson. And, you know, if, if this doesn't happen the way it happened, I don't think we're talking about it as much, honestly. But this kid wants to play basketball. Let him play basketball. And honestly, the best way, in my opinion, and I'm no expert, so, I mean, people are going to call me out for this, whatever, but the best way to prep for the NBA is to just keep playing, man. Show mm-hmm. your skills off. Test your, I mean, what, what can he possibly do in the gym to get ready for the NBA that's better than playing on the court? I mean, yes, he can get hurt, but injury is a part of the game. He can get drafted by the New York Knicks with the first pick and get hurt walking to the stage to meet Adam Silver. <laughs> and then what? You know, See, it, Please it, knock it, on wood. Oh, sorry. I mean, I'm not, that it gets drafted have, by the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, it gets drafted by the Knicks, right? Honestly, I mean, you gotta let the kid play. Let the kid decide what he wants to do. If he doesn't want to play, I understand. But if I'm him, I'm playing. I'm in college for a reason. I committed to Duke for a reason. I want to go out there. I want to be a part of March Madness, best time of the year. I want to cut the net. Folks, I never thought I'd be the only sane one on this show. <laughs> No, no, he should not be playing. No, 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 no. I'll give you a couple examples. Ben Simmons, yeah, he got hurt. He missed the entire 
rookie season and still qualified as a rookie. Let me go further back. Kyrie Irving was the number one pick in the draft when the Cleveland Cavaliers took him. How many games did he play that year? Seven? Eight? Who the hell cares? It didn't matter. Because you know where he was going? First. The moment he stepped on the court for Duke. Where is Zion going the moment he steps on the court for Duke game one? First. Where is he going tomorrow? First. Where is he going if he hurts his knee seriously? Maybe one. Maybe two. Maybe 14th with Michael Porter Jr.? Maybe not even on the draft, and he's got to come back to Duke next season. <laughs> because all of a sudden, his stock drops so much that he's got to go back to Duke because he can then be number one. No, he should not be playing at all. He should have been done a while ago because all he's shown is impressive, and that's it. He doesn't need to show he's a competitor. He doesn't need to show any of that because at the end of the day, he's not getting paid for any of that. It's great if you can build your skills, but you know where you can also build your skills? Practice. If you practice every single day and that's all you're going to do and you're not going to play game time and you're not going to go hard, hard for the rest of these couple months, you want to know who's going to blame you? Nobody. And that's what he should be doing. This injury is the perfect example because the only way to take down a freakishly amazing body size of him is a shoe up, is a freak injury, and that's all it takes to cost you millions. It's going to probably make him millions afterwards because Nike's going to have to re-sign him because you can imagine what it will happen if he goes signs with Pumba or Under Armour or some... or what, Whatever uh, contract... BBB. Yeah, whatever contract Nike gave him just went up double, maybe triple. Yeah, he's going to have a LeBron James or more contract in his Nike deal or big ball brand. Who knows? Oh my God, I hope so. That that was my favorite thing. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have happened in the big ball brand sneakers because you know they're great. Um, no, this doesn't. I, I I can't believe I'm the only sane one on this conversation. He should never be playing another college game again because he never had to from the start. Neither does R.J. Barrett, but R.J. Barrett has a better case. R.J. Barrett can play the rest of the season and try and make a case that he's better than Zion Williamson for the number one pick. But Zion doesn't have to do anything else to prove that he's the number one. So what happened? What happened to what happened to when sports is about winning and losing in the competitive spirit? Yeah, the game atmosphere is different than practice. One hundred? No, no, it's not. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I have to completely disagree on this. Ben Simmons is number one pick. He makes the NIT. He doesn't even make the March Madness bracket. He well, won- I didn't think he should have been the number one pick. I mean, we we talked about this when that happened. <laughs> I'll go even other examples. I think Christian McCaffrey sat out his last game, which was some bowl, you know, any one of the bowls in college, uh, but it didn't matter because he wasn't one of the top four teams playing in the playoffs. Sure. Every kid should uh, sit out those games. I'll give you other examples. Every Week 17 NFL football game should not be played unless your team is contending for a playoff but spot. Right now, That's it. Nick, you're talking about games that don't matter. Exactly. We're talking about being in the Final Four. We're and talking I'm talking about, being about games that don't matter. 
Look, so the final great. four doesn't matter. He'll mess up a ton of brackets if he plays or doesn't play. But that doesn't matter. So the NCAA championship does not matter. <sighs> Cutting the net doesn't matter. No, it does not. The Do highlight of his college career. The highlight of his college career is leaving college. <laughs> It is it is not playing on Duke. The highlight of his career will not be playing for Duke, playing with Coach K, unless it's maybe, you know, the U.S. basketball team a long time from now. The highlight of his career in 2019 is going to be being drafted. The downfall is when he gets drafted by the Knicks or Cleveland Cavaliers, but oh. being drafted. <laughs> Hopefully Knicks. Um, no, th there's nothing that shows that Zion Williams shouldn't should be even be considering another game. It's great that he thinks he should be playing. Wonderful. And I'll support that more than I will if he steps on that court. Yeah, I can see it. I see your point. But I, I can't believe I know he's, I know he's gonna wanna play. <laughs> they're gonna have to they're not gonna have to let him but he's I don't know. Right. You'll see him on the court. <laughs> Jose, I'm going to ask you this one. Houston beat the Warriors uh, a few nights back. James Harden did not play in that game. Are the Rockets the biggest threat to the Warriors this season? You know, no. I mean, it's the regular season. You know, none of this <laughs> matters. None of this matters to me. The 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 Warriors are going to turn it up the minute the playoffs start. Um, and honestly, I really question how much. Uh, the Rockets can keep this going. Don't get me wrong. When Chris Paul is healthy, they're a better team. Kenneth Fareed has played phenomenal mm -hmm. um, since he's been brought over. But at the end of the day, this is James Harden doing the heavy work. And I don't know how much longer James Harden can really keep putting this team on his back to try and win games. Again, the whole Warriors team wasn't even playing. Um, honestly, again, we all know it's a different animal when the playoffs start. I don't think the Warriors are going to, you know, the Warriors might have let them win on purpose, honestly, <laughs> to get their confidence up. Um, but to me, I'm not going to believe that the Warriors are in danger until I see them down um, significantly in the playoffs. All right, Austin. Obviously, um, James Harden is on a tear. His 30-point uh, streak just ended against the Hawks. Go Hawks. Um <laughs> I guess. <laughs> the, the only team I will never bet on, the Atlanta Hawks. Folks, the Atlanta Hawks, crappy at covering at home, best team in the NBA at covering the point spread on the road. There's your Vince <laughs> Fats of the day. Uh, anyway, uh, the Hawks, no, James Harden. <laughs> uh, James Harden did not play against the Warriors. We see him constantly play the ISO ball. We see him being the only option for the team when Chris Paul wasn't healthy, when Clint Capella is still not healthy. Do you think he's going to have to tone it down in the playoffs and need a little bit of extra support, or is this ISO ball going to work in the playoffs? That's a tough one because he's, I mean, he doesn't show up in the playoffs, so we, we wouldn't know. I've never seen him play. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> He's a no. I think I think ISO ball could work, but the game you saw the other night with everybody performing, that that might have been an eye opener. Where, hey, we could do this too. You know, people might maybe D'Antoni's saying, you know, give give Chris Paul his uh, 17 assists or whatever, and you know, PJ Tucker had 10 rebounds and 18 points. 
you know, that's that's a big help when you can just let James Harden take a few minutes of rest on the court and play his non-defense. But no, well, it could it could go either way. I don't know. Is there hey, one you rather see work, or one that you rather see going? I'd rather see team ball. I'd rather see team ball because, the, like I said, the game the other night that that was great team ball. I mean, can't can't ask much better than that. Plus, James Harden dropping twenty five plus. That's that's yeah, that's thank you. <laughs> that's even better. And throwing it down, and you don't have to drop thirty five. You know, ISO ball only works if your name is LeBron James. Yeah, because you'll get every call. Yeah, <laughs> but James James Harden get, gets every call this year too. Well, no, I mean ISO ball is one of those things where if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, oh man, this is a failure. You know, it, it honestly goes back and forth. I think more often than not, team basketball is the way to go. I mean, people want to crap all over the Warriors for having five All Stars, but you know what they do? They share the basketball. I mean, the San Antonio Better Spurs. Better than revol- anyone. Yeah, I mean, they and the Spurs revolutionized. You know, sharing the basketball too, like way back in the day when Tony Parker was on the team. So, honestly, like team basketball more often than not works. And I think ISO ball only works when you have certain players on your team. James Harden, LeBron James, those guys can get it done. But when you don't have that reliable player, it's better to opt with the team basketball. Yeah, Spurs, look what they got them. They lost to the Nets. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know why, but some games I, I watch when it's the Spurs Knicks, I feel like the Knicks just always kind of pull it out on the Spurs. We all know the Spurs let them win because Spike Lee was going to win an award that night, so they wanted to double the uh, the double victory for the um, for Knicks and Spike Lee. <laughs> oh, Thanks, God. Pop. Here we go, conspiracy <laughs> theories. You know, I, you know, I love my conspiracy theories. Everybody, get the tinfoil hats on. <laughs> all right. Uh, Austin, are you done considering the Celtics as the number one team in the Eastern Conference? And if so, who is your number one team in the Eastern Conference? Uh, yeah, I, I think they're pretty much out of that spot. It's got to be the Bucks or Raptors. Cause, you got to give me one. Gotta... Uh, all right, the Bucks. <laughs> the Bucks. Taking an easy way out, saying either <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> no, nah, the Bucks. The Bucks are going to be number one. Giannis is a special talent this year, and he—I feel like he tapped in to to maybe what we're seeing his his prime years. Obviously, they are those prime years, but I think he got tapped into them a little earlier, and they are playing basketball very well. Team ball, Giannis ball, don't matter. They're just winning most games. Do they have the best record in the NBA right now? Uh, they got the best know. record in the Eastern Conference. I know that. Oh. I'm. I'm Sorry, I'm I'm in the NCAA stores. I'm not checking the uh, <laughs> NBA stores. Let me check that right now. Here we go. Forty six and fourteen. Yeah, they do. And yeah, they do. So they and Raptors are forty four and seventeen. Celtics at thirty seven and twenty three. So I, I'm gonna go with the Bucks. <laughs> All right, Jose. We've been you know giving the Celtics a lot of heat these last couple podcast episodes. Where are you with them? Well, I'm going with the Raptors at, at number one, honestly. Ooh, um, okay. I mean, this is a team that they're all business this time around. Again, no offense to DeMar DeRozan, but once they traded him, you know, it became all business. They picked up a guy like Kawhi Leonard. And I feel like the game against the Spurs that had DeMar come to Toronto, where unfortunately DeMar ended up choking with the basketball, 
when it's all said and done. I feel like Kyle Lowry played with an extreme chip on his shoulder that entire game. I mean, that was a matchup I was interested in watching because, you know, you kind of have to look at Kyle Lowry and say, hey, you know, are you going to be emotional when this kind of stuff happens or are you going to bite down and play? And Kyle Lowry did really bite down and play his game of basketball. Um, We're talking about Kyle Lowry, how there was rumors that there was a trade in place for them to ship him to Memphis too and to get Conley back in return. So it doesn't even seem like Toronto sold on Kyle Lowry. And I think he played a phenomenal game against his former friend. And I think he really proved that, hey, we play serious basketball here in Toronto too. This is a great defensive team. Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, Marc Gasol added to that mix too. I think that's phenomenal. Um, And I really think that, you know, we don't really get to see the Raptors against the Warriors too often. But in a seven-game series, if there's anybody that can beat the Warriors, I think the Raptors might have a pretty good shot. Yeah, they got they got that length. Raptors are beating the Celtics 66 to 45 at half, so a nice 21 point lead at halftime. Uh, and Nick, nice. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but you know, in year, last year alone, when the Pelicans had Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins, they gave the Warriors problem whenever they played. And we determined, although the Warriors kind of fixed that now since they have DeMarcus Cousins, but one of the <laughs> biggest weaknesses for the Warriors was that they struggled against teams with big lineups. And like Austin said, there's some serious length in Toronto right there with DeBaca, mm-hmm. with Gasol. Leonard's a great defender. The Warriors might have some fits with the Raptors if they face them in a seven-game series. I want to stick with the Celtics for one more moment. I know we're, none of us are on the Celtics as... A, a favorite for the Eastern Conference, and they shouldn't be the way they've performed. But, Austin, are the Celtics a better team with Kyrie Irving or not? Because without Kyrie Irving, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals. They looked like a more united team. With them, yes, he's the best player on the court for them. But does he help the team out truly? Uh, no. No, I think they're a better team without him. Um, they, you saw in the Eastern Conference Finals that they really they don't need him, and he's not a good locker room guy. It looks like where he's, you know, just talking, 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 and talking, and saying the wrong things every time he talks, and you don't want that. And I feel like the young guys on the Celtics squad are, are realizing that, and he's realizing that too. So, you know, I, I think they're better off without him. Definitely, for sure. Jose, what do you got for me? Uh, I mean, this is tough. I mean, but let's face it. Where was this team last year when Kyrie Irving went down with his injury? They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. They did just fine without him last year in the playoffs. And honestly, when I saw that, I thought that was the beginning of the end. For some reason, Danny Agee is in love with Kyrie, Kyrie Irving and thinks that you know, they should sign him long-term. But, you know, it, to me, it's hard for Kyrie Irving to come and kick in the door and start screaming and saying, we're not playing like a team. We're not doing this. You weren't here last year. And the Celtics did just fine without you. If I'm the Celtics, I wouldn't be afraid to let Kyrie Irving walk away. Because what I've seen so far is Kyrie Irving be kind of selfish. And the Celtics aren't as good last year as they were, as aren't as good this year as they were last year. And this was a team... That honestly, if Gordon Hayward would have been healthy and LeBron James obviously wasn't on the opposing side, they probably could have been in the finals instead of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Absolutely. If LeBron James wasn't on the opposing side, Cleveland would be 
Cleveland this year. You you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have been playing Cleveland. <laughs> That's at least for damn sure. They would have been playing LeBron. <laughs> it was. It was LeBron and for a couple of years, Matthew Delvadova. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, all right. Perfect perfect way to jump right into LeBron. Uh, so, the Lakers lost last night to the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't know who Memphis even has on their team anymore, which lineup even plays anymore, who's even healthy anymore in Memphis, but they have a win over the Lakers last night. Uh, LeBron, again, wants the urgency sense, questioning if players are there or not for the team. But, Jose, let's start with this. You know, you can question urgency all you want, but do you think all these guys not knowing their status going into this offseason, the only guarantee that's going to be a Laker next season is LeBron James. Does that play a factor? Oh, I think it definitely does. I mean, I know you don't like to hear this, Nick, but team chemistry is a real thing. (laughs) And when you literally publicly say, I'm willing to throw you all you guys out the window, plus a a chocolate bar just to get Anthony Davis, that would affect (laughs) me too on whether I want to play with LeBron James or not. Um, I think a lot of the Lakers players, you know, they're playing a little bit selfishly. Why? Because I feel like they're all walking on eggshells and they're all trying to prove why they should be there next year when this thing, this master plan really takes off for the Lakers, right? They all want to prove, hey, I should stay. I could help you win a championship. And I think you're not seeing that same young, confident team that was earlier in the year playing without LeBron James. And it's because I think, you know, LeBron's a great player, but sometimes he does more harm than good. And I think this is one of those situations where I forgot who said it, but there was an analyst on ESPN that said LeBron shouldn't have been so open about wanting to play with Anthony Davis because once all the news came out that you were willing to trade everybody and their mothers for Anthony Davis, the team chemistry falls apart. It really does. And honestly, if I'm a young player on the Lakers, yes, I still have LeBron James there. Yes, you can still make the playoffs, which is cool. But what's my future? What am I playing for is the question. And that would really affect me knowing that, hey, I might not be here next year just because someone doesn't want me here. Yeah, I feel like they, they feel like they're not good enough. And that's a, that, that can make you uh, pretty upset if you, if you, you want to make an NBA roster. Also, let me ask you this part on, on sticking with the Lakers, because this, I think, is going to be one of our big topics to finish. Uh, Luke Walton, you know, Oof. how much is it his fault? Should he be fired? Will he be fired? What do you look at when you see him? I don't think he should be fired. It's, it seems like every team LeBron goes to, the head coach gets fired, and if you don't see that trend, then you're blind, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or you just don't. You just look the other way. But I don't know. I don't know that record last year. But if it's, I guess if this year is better than last year, then why, why would you be firing him? But LeBron seems to want to be a head coach again, and that's always going to be a problem. So. No, he should not be fired, but he's going to be because LeBron is the head coach, GM, the president of L.A., and you know, all that. <laughs> Do you think the, te- the chemistry is just not there for him then, right? No. 
but I want to hear Jose's take on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly, I totally agree. I don't think he should get fired, but will he get fired? You know, probably. Why? Because the minute LeBron stepped onto the court for the Lakers, even though we all knew that it's all about next year, it's not necessarily about this year, we all knew that, you know, the minute LeBron stepped back onto the court, all eyes were on L.A. again. And this was no longer a team that was rebuilding, meaning everything that happened in Luke Walton's first year, he doesn't get a pass anymore, even though it's still a rather young team. Um, And I think there is more pressure when you're coaching a guy like LeBron James. And if the Lakers don't make the playoffs, I think Luke Walton is definitely gone because it's unheard of to hear about a playoffs without LeBron James. And I feel like Luke Walton can very easily be the scapegoat for a lot of things that went wrong this year. But also, I mean, Austin's right. We've seen it before. LeBron James likes to have his guy as the coach. We saw it in Cleveland. David Blatt, to me, is a great coach. I thought he was great with Cleveland. But when LeBron gets there, David Blatt's style doesn't fit LeBron. And I think you're seeing the same thing in L.A. I think LeBron, you know, he kind of said, yeah, you know, why not Luke Walton? We can make it work. But I think you're seeing that Luke Walton's style also doesn't fit LeBron James' style. And honestly, I think at the end of the day, Magic Johnson is going to bring in somebody to make LeBron happy. Um, Whether it's Mark Jackson, who seems to be applying for the job while he's announcing games. Um, (laughs) You know, I I think that's a strong possibility that you see Magic Johnson bring in just somebody that LeBron's a little bit more comfortable with at season's end. Who would would be the guy? Is there like any... I mean, I right now, the, I think Mark Jackson, Mark Jackson and would probably be the ideal candidate in Tyron my opinion Lou. right now. Um, maybe they bring in Tyron Lou. I think that's actually a really interesting name I didn't think about. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't know. Unless, you know, maybe they bring in... Uh, I, I'm drawing a blank on the former Cleveland coach before he left. They might finish in the same seat this year as they did last year. So, I, I don't get firing. I, I don't... I don't know. He needs his guy. <laughs> yeah, I think Mark Jackson's always considered for a coaching job, but never wins. Um, <laughs> it's like the always a bridesmaid, never a bride yeah, I mean, type never, thing. Never get, the, this, the guy doesn't get the guy doesn't get credit for starting that Warriors dynasty. No, he does not uh, at he all. Really did play a big part in that. Yep, he, he was Great the coach. entire part. Um, all right, me personally. I need someone to throw under the bus for this. Not just like with Luke Walton missing the bus. Um, Alright, so we got plenty of options. Uh, LeBron James, Luke Walton, Magic Johnson, the supporting cast of the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> Jose, who's your number one blame guy for the Lakers' struggles this season? You know, honestly, I'm going to pick Magic Johnson. Um, and I think it's, it's a name that's not being brought up enough, Right. Um, I think he brought LeBron James to L.A. on a promise that he can sign two superstars, one being LeBron James. Um, They didn't get Paul George this offseason. He chose to go to OKC instead. And when someone chooses to go play with Russell Westbrook over LeBron James, that to me is kind of alarming from the get-go, right? Um, So now, if you're Magic Johnson, you're telling LeBron James, hey, just wait till next year. We got this. Jimmy Butler... Or, hey, even Anthony Davis has said that he wants to come play in L.A. He's ours. You know, Boston can offer a better trade deal, but we'll go and get him now. We'll offer everybody, including the water boy, to go get him now so we can secure him to a long-term contract. Guess what? 
that trade didn't go through. That trade didn't go, didn't plan, didn't pan out. And the Pelicans used Magic Johnson and shame on Magic Johnson for not being smart enough to say, hey, Pelicans, you don't have many options. I'm not offering my entire team. This is the trade package. You either take it or you leave it. Instead, he kept pushing and pushing and pushing for Anthony Davis. And then all this giant mess gets leaked out about everybody being available. And now you have a team that's in shambles in terms of the chemistry. So I think Magic Johnson has done a really, really poor job of giving LeBron James empty promises and also for the way he handled the Anthony Davis trade. And and honestly, I'm not so sure that another superstar is coming here to L.A. Who else is going to come here? I don't see Jimmy Butler playing alongside LeBron James. I don't think those two styles mix very well together. So unless they get Anthony Davis, I don't know who else is coming to L.A. unless they can snag Kyrie. But at this point, do you want to do a Kyrie-LeBron reunion? I don't think that's what LeBron had in mind in L.A. Awesome. No, I think Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis is going to wind up on the Lakers. That's he wanted to play there, and yeah. Hot hot take prediction by Austin there uh, mm-hmm. with Anthony Davis so over the Celtics possibility. Uh, but I need also somebody to blame. Who are you taking? I, I was going to say the same thing as Jose. What, no one ever brings up the front office or GM, and it has to start from somewhere. And you got to start with Magic Johnson. He's he's basically uh, Ja Rule and Billy McFarlane with Fire Festival coming up with empty promises, and you get you know nothing nothing you could ask you ask for. It's terrible, and he's made the wrong decisions from the get go. Besides signing LeBron, obviously, it's, anyone signing LeBron is the right decision. But I think if that didn't leak all those. All those rumors didn't leak. Something would have fell through. But he's done a terrible job of hiding everything. He talks and talks and tampers and he don't really care. <laughs> and that's terrible. So, yeah, it's got to start with the GM or whatever, front office, whatever he is. Magic Johnson. <laughs> going with Jose's take. Uh, I'll take the supporting cast. Uh, everybody but LeBron James on the team. Uh Look, you lose to Memphis. You got guys like Brandon Ingram having five fouls. You got guys like uh, Pope having four. Again, another guy with like McGee having four fouls. You go play the Pelicans. Brandon Ingram again has five fouls, and this is a guy that's you know the second scorer on the team. And you, otherwise, Josh Hart's having another game of four to five fouls. What's the difference maker? Well, against Houston getting to the foul line a ton. They won by like five, but they shot 33 foul shots. Now, I'm not telling you that the Lakers need to shoot 33 foul shots a game. Jesus. Their own teammates, they can't have five fouls in the game. They can't have four or five fouls consistent in the game. The game against Houston, the most guy had three, whether starting or bench. That's what you need on a consistent mark. Not having to be subbed out because you're in foul trouble when you're supposed to be on the court more than sitting on the bench during a game, you're going to lose more often like that. When the pressure's already on, you're going to feel more pressure when you start fouling more often. You're getting a bit more anxiety going on through the game. Look, you're playing with LeBron James. The kids couldn't kick it in deer. They deserve to kind of get the boot. You're playing with LeBron James on a one-year contract. How many times in the MLB to final year contracts, guys just go over the top in itself? We have not seen that 
this season for the Lakers. And no one's expecting McGee to be this all-star all of a sudden, but a better player than he was that didn't result in Tyson Chandler having to come in. <laughs> it, it just complete misses constantly. And they were excited this. about that. But uh, after LeBron James, what else did they bring in? They, they brought Michael in- Beasley. <laughs> <laughs> he's now he's in China. My and my favorite moment of Midi is still the Indiana uh, Pacers game, where it's like, not not worth trading was the chant. Uh, every game should feature Indiana's fan base. They, yeah. They're just great. Um, so with that, we're getting closer to the end of the podcast, and we always. Austin, uh, we always have a dude and dunce of the week, and we always have uh, looking back in time with Beard Bat. So we're going back in time a little bit in February of February 26th. And in 2017, Daytona 500. This is the first time I think I've ever brought NASCAR into this podcast. <laughs> but Kurt Busch uh, wins the race after Kyle Lawson runs out of gas on the final lap. I've actually seen the video. I've uh, I used to watch a little bit more NASCAR, but didn't watch that race. Uh, but certainly an exciting finish on that one. And Jeffrey Earnhardt becomes the first ever fourth-generation driver to compete in the Daytona 500. 2012, the 61st NBA All-Star game. Kevin Durant was the MVP. It seems like he's always the consensus first pick in these drafts outside <laughs> of the players choosing. Always going to LeBron for some reason. And I wonder why. <laughs> no, no tampering such things on free agent players. No, not during uh, All Star break. You could take all the free agents you want and have them on your team. <laughs> That's cool. And the last one I found that was kind of interesting for me was uh, in 1935, the New York Yankees released Babe Ruth. He signs with the Boston Braves. So. That was the three for Beard Bat as we looked back on February 26th. And our dude of the week, I think he's getting his second dude of the week uh, ever. And that's Luka Donic. I know I'm saying that, Ron, but, you know. Don't chick? Don't chick? I don't know. There's a bunch of ways to say uh, it. Jose will. Say it however you want. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, 28 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. He has, I think, four of the five triple-doubles all-time by a teenager. He gets another one. The Mavericks did lose the game. Uh, but, you know, every Mavericks game is kind of exciting at this point yeah. with Dirk Nowitzki. And I love what they did in the Clippers game. You know, Doc, Doc Rivers, Rivers right? yeah, stops the game yeah. with 10 seconds left and is yeah. just like gives Dirk Nowitzki a standing ovation. Which is yeah, that was excellent. Which is kind of still insulting because you're winning by ten with ten <laughs> seconds left. It'd be one thing if you're trailing, I feel, but when you're winning, this <laughs> kind of kicking a team down. Like, no, we're not ending this game yet. We're gonna cheer for you as you guys lose. More. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's for Dirk, so it's okay. He got emotional, and yeah, I, I got emotional. <laughs> I think everybody was caught off guard with that one, but. Yeah. With always a dude of the week, we need a dunce of the week. So, Jose, who is our dunce of the week? Well, it's been a very, 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 very eventful week in our time off. Um, so, I did have plenty of options, but can you really go 
with anybody but the guy who was soliciting prostitutes. I mean, Robert <laughs> Kraft, wh- whose man is this? <laughs> Somebody get. I mean, dude, I mean, you won the Super Bowl. We get it. But the, you're taking the partying to a little bit of an extreme there, my friend. He um, wants to go out with a bang. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> apparently. No, but I mean, honestly. It, it's a it's a dumb move by Robert Kraft. I mean, not only is it illegal, honest, obviously, but also, I mean, way to taint what's going on now with the New England Patriots. You know, instead of talking about how great the team is and their sixth championship, now we're talking about the bad news about how you did this sort of thing. So it's just it's negative attention that the Patriots don't need, um, and you know, just shame on him, honestly. That's a good dunce of the week. <laughs> feel like I should be the president's joke here, but I'm going to avoid it. <laughs> One, but, you know, who knows? Uh, yeah. Who's listening at the end of the day? <laughs> um, you might get a presidential alert that, uh, that hey, they're shutting down our podcast. That may get us more views. Uh, you get though, a tweet. <laughs> uh, with that, though, we are going to the end of our 42nd podcast and we always do final thoughts so i'll take mine first uh and austin if you have any final thoughts for the podcast as well uh but final thoughts for me is uh bruce belchi is retiring at the end of the 2019 season uh you know he's i think in the top 11 all-time in wins and three World Series championships with the Giants, we all remember. The two guys between him as far as total wins, both of them are in the Hall of Fame. He's an easy candidate uh, for a Hall of Famer. So that's just on mine. And Zion Williamson, don't play another college (laughs) basketball game. Just go to the NBA. Go. He's going regardless. Uh. Austin, do you have any final takes? As we're very happy you joined us for the show. Oh, that was that was great, man. It was a great experience, and I'm I'm happy to be with you guys. And I hope to do this again. And my final thoughts is just can't wait for baseball. Let's go Mets. I hope we have the sixty percent, seventy percent healthy, eighty percent healthy season, if that. I'm, that's all I hope for because we've had some bad years. But no, final thoughts. Let's go Mets. And Jose, final thoughts as well for our podcast. Well, my final thoughts are, I have two things. One, in the Mets broadcast the other day, they said that Juan Ligaris was turning 30 this year. That's very hard to believe, and I don't know where time <laughs> went. But Juan Ligaris turning 30 definitely caught me by surprise. Also, if you're fight fans, this weekend is UFC 235. It should be a pretty stacked card. John Jones stepping into the octagon once again. Take on the journeyman, Anthony Smith. Don't sleep on that fight. Anthony Smith could shock the world and could beat John Jones. You also have Tyron Woodley um, going up against um, Kamari Usman. That's going to be another great fight, too. It's just overall a very, very stacked card for UFC. So we're recording on Tuesday. That fight is on Saturday. So cross your fingers. No injuries and nobody has to pull out within the last week. We all know fight week is the time for everybody to start uh, getting hurt, as, as we say. And we don't want to ruin a super stacked card. So if you get a chance, UFC 235 should be a good one. And once again, Austin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was an honor to have you. I hope you had a blast as well. Oh, I did. This was this was great, man. I hope to be back again soon. Definitely. Anytime. 
happy to have you. And right. Once again, I am Nit Sarasso. And I'm Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 42. Episode 43 will be coming out next week. I'm sure we'll be talking about Antonio Brown, possible trades. If we find out more information other than Robert Kraft paying for uh, solicitation, uh, we'll be talking about him. <laughs> and much more to come on episode 43. And don't forget to check out all the other podcasts on the S&D Podcast channel great source to find some great podcasts i think we also have a wrestling podcast besides the snd podcast channel well as i think roman reigns is coming back for the wwe and wrestlemania is around the corner so that's always a great podcast to be checking out and right about happy now. belated birthday to rick flair yes. all right happy, 70 years happy old belated birthday Woo. Hey, he didn't quite make the beard bad because a couple days before though uh So happy birthday, Ric Flair, and thank you all for listening to Sarasa and the Beard Podcast, episode 42.